You're listening to the Mind Your Business podcast, episode number 163. Today, we're talking about the origin story of a well-known entrepreneur. How did James Wedmore become the man he is today? So stay tuned. I'm James Wedmore, and I've built a multiple seven-figure internet business that offers the financial freedom to do what I want, when I want. And I'm the first to say that hard work and hustle are not essential ingredients for your success. So how do you build a thriving business from the inside out? Now with over 1.2 million downloads, this is the Mind Your Business Podcast. All right, what's up, you guys? James Wedmore here, coming to you on the road. Another on the road edition episode. This is actually a very special on the road edition of the Mind Your Business podcast. You're like, wait, who was that doing the intro? That wasn't James. James, you sounded very feminine in that intro. That was actually a good friend of mine and a longtime student of Business by Design and a current member of my inner circle mastermind, Teresa Lowe, as well as host of the Living Homegrown podcast. And she reached out to me a couple of weeks ago, which I'm so grateful for, saying, you know what, James? Uh, You know, I listen to your podcast all the time, and I know a lot of other people do, and I don't think enough people know your story. And you know where I always go in my head is like, well, who the heck cares about my story, (laughs) right? So she said, I would love to do an episode around that. And so what Teresa did is she went to my community. She went to our members' Facebook groups for Business by Design, and she started asking the members if I could sit down and interview James and ask him any question, what would you ask? And she collected a ton of questions, questions around like my biggest low points, my biggest struggles, my my biggest setbacks, all that stuff. And we went to work. We went to work. She went to work asking me those questions and answering them. And we've actually turned it into a two-part episode. It's a two-parter that we're going to be releasing today, right now, in just a moment, and this Wednesday. So these are a doozy, but it does to the best of our ability distill the greatest lessons, epiphanies, and breakthroughs of basically all 10 years of struggles that I've had. And so Yeah, there's a lot I've never shared here publicly and a lot of new insight. So I hope it's not just an entertaining story, but there's a lot of value there to give you some context of what I was going through and how I overcame it and how maybe you might be going through something similar to that and how it could help you as well. So I'm really excited to share this. Teresa thought it turned out fantastic. She's amazing for, you know, just even thinking of me, let alone taking the time to put this all together. So huge shout out to Teresa. She's also the host of the Living Homegrown podcast. Now, you know, these are for people who are living homegrown, literally, and having farm fresh food without the farm. But that's what Teresa does. But still, if you're interested in that, please make sure to get to check out Teresa. She's amazing. And to see her growth of her business has just been so extraordinary. So thank you. Thank you, Teresa. And so that's it. I, you know, I want to get started on this interview on part one. So without further ado, Let's roll that tape. Okay, you ready for this, James? As ready as I'll ever be. Okay. I really feel that every entrepreneur has an origin story, and you have shared bits and pieces of your origin story on the podcast and at your live events. But what I really want to draw out here is your personal journey. And I want to hear the origin story that has all the milestones of your mindset shifts and Mm. your spirituality shifts. And so if you're ready, I wanna just dive right in. Let's do it. So a lot of your listeners and followers probably know how you started out with your first digital product, which was about bartending, and we'll get to that story. But I wanna go backwards, a little bit further back in your life, because I know that you actually started out being an entrepreneur even as a kid. Mm-hmm. So what is one of the first businesses that you ever started? Yeah, there were a lot of businesses at a very young age. The first one, well, the first thing I remember is when you're a kid, you get bored, right? You remember being a kid and you're like, those are like those words pop up in your brain all the time, I'm bored, right? 
And as an adult, we're like too busy to be bored, I feel like. But I remember sitting on my parents' front steps. Now this, this might sound weird, but this is what I did. I would imagine stacks and piles of money. Now it wasn't like on a sense of like, you know, I'm obsessed with money or anything, but I just imagined all these ways in which I was going to make money. Why? I have no idea. But one thing I think that's worth noting before I actually answer the question is my parents were really successful. Like my dad's now today been in real estate for 40 years. He was a top agent in all of Southern California in luxury real estate, like did very well. However, they sent me to a private school that today, like tuition for that private school is like 40,000 a year for like a seven year old, like crazy. That's like college money. And I was the poor kid in this like exorbitant, like super rich community, you know, at Newport Beach, the neighboring town. And so there was this very interesting like environment that I was raised in that we never struggled for money. There was never a like whatever, but my dad grew up out of the Great Depression. My dad grew up with so much of this like poverty mindset and even though he had made a lot of money, he still brought that into our household and then I really adopt that of like money doesn't grow on trees like you know turn off the lights if you leave the room because you just cost us money and it was a very interesting environment to grow up in where there sounded like this shortage of money but then I'd go to my friend's mansion and he'd go you want to go to Catalina today and we'd hop on their massive 50 foot 60 foot yacht and the captain would drive us out to Catalina for the afternoon. And then it would be like, you want to go to Aspen? No, I'm not, not even joking. You want to go to Aspen next week, you know? And they'd pay for me to go to Aspen. And then, you know, like you, you have those times where you're like, well, when can we go to your, your second house, James? <laughs> like, why aren't you inviting me to you? And I'm like, I don't have those things. And like, why? Right? So I had this like interesting contrast of like, we had enough, so there was never a fear, there was never not enough, and there was never a complaint, there was never a problem, but there was like, oh, there's so much more, and I want that, I want that, that's exciting to me. So I would sit as a little kid, seven, eight years old, on our front steps, my parents still live in that house, so I remember that, and I just remember stacks of money, and I was like, what are all the ways I can get these stacks of money so I can have the yacht and all these things? And so one of the first ones is my neighbor down the street had a massive property, it's like an acre of property, and when I was about seven, they went to my mom and they said, we're gonna be out of town for three weeks. We'd like to hire James to water our garden. Now, watering a garden is one thing, but watering an acre of plants, there's avocado trees and lemons, they had herb gardens, and they didn't have automatic sprinklers, so it was, you had to put a sprinkler, a hose with a little sprinkler you know, attachment for 15 minutes, and you put on an egg timer, they gave me an egg timer, and then I'd have to go switch it somewhere else. And imagine for an acre of property, and the sprinkler's catching, you know, just like a few square foot here and there. So it would take about three to four hours a day of watering. So what I started doing, like day one, I was bored out of my mind. Like I'm sitting there watching plants grow. <laughs> so by day two, what I decided to do while I was waiting is I plucked all the fruit from their trees and in their garden, the avocados, the <laughs> lemons, and the oranges, and I put it in their wheelbarrow, and I wheeled it door to door to all the neighbors, and I just started knocking. And so I, smart. And I started selling their fruit. And I made about two or three times, they paid me $3 an hour to water their garden. I made a lot more than $3 <laughs> an hour selling the fruit to their neighbors than I ever did watering the garden. And that was the very first time I had any type of experience of that, of entrepreneurness. So you started right out of the gate yeah. with a big win. That yeah, was that, was really... a, that was a huge win. And that was another thing. like. That always stuck with me that like I never liked avocados growing up because for some reason I was like, it's green, so it must be, ew, and, it, and it's brown on the outside. It looks gross. Like if when you're a little kid, like what is this thing? It doesn't have the deliciousness look of an apple. And the avocados were the big sellers. People would see everything and they'd be like, eh, ooh, the avocado, and they gravitated. So, you know, do your market research and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm only going to do avocados because that's what the that's what the market wants. And it was just bizarre that my brain, like to think back, like I was already thinking that way. Like, all right, how do we showcase better avocados and, you know, niche down, I guess. So. That does not even surprise me at all. <laughs> that is such a great story. Well, I know then as a teenager, 
it continued. Like you didn't yes. just do yeah. things as a kid. So I'll do a quick highlight of all the other ones really quickly. So we grew up in an area where there was not a lot of development. It was up in the hills of Laguna Beach. And there was this like something that passed one year. It was 94, actually, as I remember that. So the year's 1994. So I'm in fourth grade. So however, like nine or 10. They passed something. There's finally this thing so that the area where we lived would now be approved for development of all these new homes. All of a sudden, there's like massive construction. At any good one time, there was like 10 homes being built, like my next door neighbors. So for years, construction everywhere. So I just decide one day I'm going to turn our house into a restaurant and I'm going to start selling them stuff. So here's my marketing strategy at the time. I have a little sister. She's four years younger than me. And I took a, two pieces of poster, wrote out the menu on the poster, attached it to two strings, and then put it on top of hers. Like, I don't know what you call that, but like she wore the menu. <laughs> the sandwich, the sandwich. The board. sandwich board. Yeah. And she wore that. Then I talked into a voice recorder and just said the menu. I just said like, nachos, 50 cents, tacos, a dollar, water, 25 cents. And I just looped it. So I would say, I said it like 10 times, and then she would hold it in her hand, press play, and just walk around these construction workers while they're working, and we'd watch. We'd watch, and we're like, okay, they're on a break. It's lunch break. Go! And she would go down there, this little, I mean, if I was, she was like five. She was a good sister. She was a good sister. But that now that's another thing, is like, I was too nervous to do it. I had the ideas, and I had the strategy, but I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to go down there. I didn't want to put myself out there. So I had just had her do it. She was like, she didn't know better. And it didn't work. No one bought a single thing. And I was like a little discouraged. Then the next morning, I get woken up by my mom at six in the morning. because She's already getting up for work. And she's like, what did you do? There's a line of construction workers out our door. Oh, man. And I just like hopped out of bed. And I was so excited. And sure enough, there were. They wanted. Did you actually have food and things to sell? Yeah. So what we had done, and this is another funny story, is that this is the lesson where I learned about profit. I didn't understand the concept of profit because I'd never paid for anything myself. You know, the fruit from the neighbors, but I didn't have to pay for that. So I was everything was a profit. So what I had done is I'd asked my mom to go to the supermarket and I just bought a bunch of frozen stuff. Like we were selling burgers, but they were frozen microwavable cheeseburgers. Like how disgusting is that? And I was just selling them for like a quarter for 50 cents. And you know, my mom was probably paying $3 to get it in the box. <laughs> so there's no concept of profit margin. So the yeah. prices were so ridiculous. Like, so like, come on, like he's selling like a Coke for a dime or something, you know, that, they were like, of course we're gonna spend 50 cents and have our entire meal instead of five, six, seven dollars, whatever it was costing. So yeah, I just said, all right, give me a few minutes. Like I took their orders and then I, and I had them pay. And I literally said, well, well, I'll find you and I'll get you the food and we were in business. Now, this is my favorite part. So again, where we lived was very secluded. Like it's not like, it wasn't a busy street, it wasn't a neighborhood, there's not even sidewalks. It was just like a little road with two other houses next to me. We set up a table just like the one we're at now, and a little cash box and the sign with the menu. And I'll never forget, a woman pulls up to go to my neighbor's house and she does the most condescending thing. She just goes, oh, look, well, that's neat. Are you, you got a little, a little thing here? <laughs> and I'm like, yep. And she's like, well, don't you think maybe you should do this in a little bit more of a busy street? And I'm just like, no. She's like, well, have you made any money today? And I said, yeah, about $120. <laughs> like, because because over time, I mean, we're talking, there was like, there must have been 50 construction workers. And so we were right in the middle of it. We were the Mecca. Yes. The, the one and only, like, we, we had a monopoly on, the, on meal and food for construction workers. And I just love that. I love that someone else who was like, I mean, she must have been in her 40s or 50s. And here's this little, little kid, and I'm like, I can see something that you could clearly not see. You know, what she saw was this scared alone kid with no foot traffic trying to make money, and I saw the possibility like all around me. I just remember seeing that being like, that is really funny that she can't see that. I would have liked to see the look on her face <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you said that. That's so good. So yes, you absolutely mm -hmm. had this in your blood 
and it was absolutely meant to be. There's no way you couldn't have ended up being an entrepreneur with that sort of beginning. Yeah. But you had chosen after high school to go into film school. Mm -hmm. So I would love to know what did you think you were going to do after going to film school? Yeah, that's a really good question because I don't know. You know, there's a big part of me that really beat myself up in high school and college that I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And that was really hard. I had the friends in high school that were like, they chose the college path of what their career already was going to be. Like I had a friend who said, I'm going to culinary school. I want to be a chef. And I'm like, I might not want to be a chef, but man, I'm so jealous that you know what to do with your life. And that was really hard for me. Like I didn't know that all these other, I mean, there were so many other entrepreneurs. I was selling golf balls back to golfers that I fished out of ponds. There's a whole eBay business that by the time I was 17, I was making over two grand a week. Well, let's back up a little bit because yeah. I want to hear that story. I had forgotten you actually, you said something once on one of your Instagram stories about you were a garage sailor. And no, you no, loved I was the king of garage sales. Yes. Like, <laughs> and I, that was a story I did not yeah. know. So I would love for you to share sure. how that started. Sure. Here's how, here's how it started. I mean, this is a crazy story too. Like just all of this, like, and for me to hear how it all connects, but we lived at the top of a very steep hill. Here's the shortest version I can give, but this is where it all starts. And so when I would get home from school, we would carpool and the, the people would drop me off at the bottom of the hill. So I had to walk about half a mile uphill. It sounds like an old person. Like, I, I walked to in school uphill in yeah. both ways, <laughs> but I had to walk home. And so my mind would get started thinking. And I always thought, wouldn't it be great if I just had something that could take me up this hill? And I just kept thinking about that. All of a sudden, my dad says, you know, this is eighth grade. He says, eighth grade graduation. I want to get you something. What do you want as an eighth grade graduation? Like, I'm really proud of you, blah, blah, blah. What would you like? And I said, I want like a motorized scooter, dad. And his dad, who I never met, my grandfather passed away before I was born, was an auto mechanic and owned a, the shop. I mean, up until a few years ago, if you went to Pasadena, California, it said Wedmore & Co. Like someone bought it and it was still there for years. And so he was so kind of like really happy and excited that I like wanted to get into motors and stuff like that. So he bought me a little mini bike, which is basically a bike with a lawnmower engine on it. And I was in love with this thing. So that started this whole path of like, at one point, like fast forward six months later, I had six motorcycles in my garage as a 15 year old kid, like dream come true. Anyways, one of those was a 1971 Honda CT70 Trail 70. Now, someone listening to this is going to know exactly what that was. And they had one when they were a kid. And they were going to say, like, that was, like, their favorite thing. It was like a boy and his dog. It's like these little bikes. They're little, little bikes. But they, Honda made them in the 70s. Classics. I bought one. And I remember crashing the fender. Now, this is 1997. I crashed it, bent the front fender. And I was devastated, like this beautiful cherry bike and the whole front defenders. So I start searching on the internet and I find all these forums about people that love these bikes. And one guy says in this one little comment, he's like, there's a site called eBay where you can buy parts. And I said, perfect. And I go there and I paid $500 for this bike. And there's the fender. That's the fender I need. And it's $75. And I'm like, my whole bike was $500, 75 for the Fender, uh, uh no way. And then my brain said, wait a second. And fast forward two days later, and it's, this is like amazing and awful at the same time, I completely disassembled this entire bike and sold every single piece and part individually and made about $3,000 Oh my on the gosh. Bike. And that was the start for me. And so I'm 15 years old, I don't have a driver's license, but we have a minivan and my dad. And every week when the penny saver would come out, we also had something called the recycler. Same thing, it's like a local newspaper. Craigslist was not out yet. Don't get me started about Craigslist, but <laughs> <laughs> Craigslist has been like a dream come true for me over that time period. But every week, Thursday, it was every Thursday morning, the ads would come out and I'd find these bikes for sale. 300, 600, they were all tucked in the back of someone's shed and they're like trying to get rid of it. And they're like, I don't care about this thing. So I was in the background, I was learning everything about motors. Like I could take an engine apart, you know, I could make anything run. Like all these things, I could make them run again in, in, in a couple of hours. One of them, the guy goes like, I don't know, it doesn't run. He tried kicking it over. 
Couldn't get it to start. I give them 300 bucks for it. I take it home. I put in a new spark plug, spray some WD-40 into the head, take a picture, sell it for $2,000 the next day. And this is what I was doing before I was even 16. I was making a couple grand a week just flipping motorcycles on eBay. Then I ran into a problem. Inventory. I didn't have enough of it. I could have five or six bikes in the garage, but I wanted more. It was hard to keep finding that solid inventory. So that's when I decided to go to garage sales. And in Laguna Beach, California, you have the perfect trifecta of garage selling because what you have are rich people with small homes. I mean, wow. Rich people with small homes that don't care about making money off of their stuff. They just got to get rid of it. I would, by the time I was 16, well, first of all, I, I, in the, before I was 16, I was illegally, which yes, I got pulled over, I got arrested at one point, that's another story, <laughs> but I was illegally riding around my motorcycles and mopeds with no driver's license, and yes, I got in trouble for that, with a basket in the front and a backpack on my back, and I was going in with cash and grabbing everything I could I could make at the garage sales. at the garage sales yeah. not go. at someone's home you weren't no 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 yeah 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 like they were selling it and yeah. I bought it yes and that's where I learned bargaining that's where I learned deal hunting that's where I learned I mean I learned so much about antiques and profit margins there and so even though you were introverted you felt confident doing that yeah because to me it wasn't like it wasn't even an introvert conversation it was just like I learned strategies and I just deployed the strategies like Got one it. of my strategies was I would confuse them. So instead of asking for like, oh, how much is this? Okay, how about that? Like that was too simple. It was like people knew what they wanted. So what I did is I went for bulk. So I would price everything individually on my own and then ask them and then I could do the math faster than they would and then I would put all of it together and have the cash ready and say, how about 250 for all of it right now? And I'd have the cash in front of them. Smart. And they'd be like, uh, sure, because they were more concerned about getting rid of it than making the money, so. You were fixing a pain point Yeah, oh totally, they got to win and I got to win. So I have hundreds, like crazy, crazy, crazy stories, hundreds of stories of where I would get something for a dollar and make hundreds. One example that comes to mind, I mean this is not, like these, like we could do an entire episode on just these finds. One was a, you remember Mighty Mouse? Yes. Okay, so these are called character glasses, like, McDonald's and Burger King used to in the 90s, like early 90s, as a Happy Meal toy, would give glasses to kids as their Happy Meal and they'd have characters on them. Okay, like painted characters on the actual glasses. And I got a box of them. And there were Disney glasses, so it's Mickey, it's Goofy, blah, 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 blah. Sold them, I, I I paid 35 bucks for the whole box of them. And I go, here's all the Disney ones. I made my money back, 35, 40 bucks on eBay. Then I had this random one. It was Mighty Mouse. I'm like, well, who is Mighty Mouse? That wasn't Disney or Looney Tunes. Like, who made Mighty Mouse? Well, no one, like, Mighty Mouse sucked. So I just put it on its own. All of a sudden, like, within the day, it's like, oh, I start every, every auction off at a dollar. All of a sudden, it's like $3, $5, $10, 50 And this is like the first three hours. I'm like, what the heck's going on? All of a sudden, I start Googling Mighty Mouse. And I find, a, like, websites and forums, and they say, the Mighty Mouse glass is the holy grail of all collectible glasses. And then some guy goes, and there's one currently for sale on eBay, and he's linking to my post. Holy cow. Wow. And as a kid who was 16 years old, I think that sold for like 120 bucks. If you saw what I'm talking about, it's this stupid little glass, and... I got $120 for it. Wow. And th- these were happening every single week for me. And it was unbelievable. So I had this, I, yes, I built this whole business a couple grand a week selling things on eBay. And it was just about how do I do it faster? How do I get more of it? How do we build this? How do we grow this? It got to the point where by the time I was 17, I was renting an apartment from my parents. I was paying them rent. I had an inventory stock room. I had a an assembly line of how I packaged. I hired the neighbor kid and he was <laughs> he was packaging all the boxes. He was getting boxes for me. We had a s- process for how we would get boxes. I didn't pay for the boxes because that would cut into my profit margin. Oh, sure. So that we knew all the places in town where they just throw out the boxes. He would go and get them, you know, all that type of stuff. And the, the culmination of this, which is always a fun story, but doesn't paint me in the best light, but we had career day in high school, 17, 18 years old, and I made a total mockery out of career day. Like, I'll never forget this. They had 
boxes, like filing cabinet boxes, from A to Z with all these files. And basically, they wanted you to pick your career based off of whatever these files were, like A for ambulance driver, all the way to like Z zookeeper. And so I picked crane operator and ambulance driver as my two top career choices. I thought it was such a joke, like even back then, like to put me in a box and say that this is your life and this is who you are and it has to be one of these and things. And you have to decide it today, right? And now. you have to decide it and start planning for that future. Right. So ironically, there was this like dichotomy of like, I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I didn't want to be these things and you couldn't tell me I could do this, right? But I just, I didn't know better. And that was the hard thing is my parents themselves are not entrepreneurial. Both my grandparents were. And both of them had passed away before I was born. So I had this like other way that I wanted to be. But my parents, as supportive as they were, they didn't know how to foster that. So they were just like, keep doing what you're doing. It's awesome. (laughs) So I get called into the principal's office or the counselor's office with my parents. Because he said, you've made a complete mockery out of career day. Do you not take your future seriously? And I said, this is so awful. I said, I'm already making more money than you are. So why should I listen to you? <laughs> and that didn't go over too well. I guess not. But, you know, like, but I'm proud of myself for that, that I like, you stood I didn't, up for I stood up for myself. I stood up for like, what I didn't know what I believed in. in, but I knew I didn't believe in that. And I struggled with all of that. My parents paid $12,000 for a college counselor. And the college counselor gave up on me because he was trying to t- tell me what career would have been perfect based on my skills. And I'm like, he saw that he heard, like, this is how ridiculous this was. I'm not even joking. He said, he would ask me all these questions about what I was doing and I would tell him about the motorcycles. And he'd say, well, maybe a good technical school so you could learn how to be a mechanic. Wow. And I'm just like, what are you no. talking about? Like, that's what you saw in the fact that I was like creating this thing. And like, that's what he's, and I was like, none of these people that were teaching me knew anything. And, you know, we put a video out recently about how school and the public education system, they're not teaching us entrepreneurship, which is fine. That's what I knew in my heart that I was. And I wanted, I wasn't getting it. And I'm so glad that I had enough self-esteem and enough confidence to say, you know what, there's something wrong here. None of this is for me. So when film school came around, I didn't know still that that would be even right for me, but I knew that at least something that I really loved, which is just another part of the story, is I was always making videos growing up. Like even when I started doing eBay, I found a way to like make a video, and that was even hard. Getting a video up on the internet in 1998 is like a feat. Like that's a huge accomplishment. But I was doing that for my bigger motorcycles and the ones that were worth thousands of dollars. I would make videos of me starting it up to show people, look, it works fine. It runs, it shifts gears, blah, blah, blah. So I grew up loving making videos and all that type of stuff. And so I was like, well, if I could go to college and learn more about that, I think I'd have a really good time. And so that's the only expectation I really had at that point. That's really interesting, everything that you've said, but something you mentioned that really caught my ear was about your parents. And so I just want to ask, mm-hmm. how supportive were they through all of this? I mean, if my kid was making $2,000 a week, I would want to make sure it wasn't with drugs. But obviously, <laughs> they could see what you were doing. So were they supportive in all of that they, when you were growing up up into film school? They were 110% supportive in terms of encouragement and encouraging me they didn't know how to support me beyond their love and words of encouragement. That's and, okay. And that's okay. I was craving that. I just never got anything. So I was like so floundering and so lost and so confused, but they were just like loving what I, they, I was doing. However, they still were like, okay, but go to college and get the degree so you can get the job. Like, you know, so there was still, and what was hard for me growing up, and like, again, it it all comes from so much love from my parents. And I know that. To me, the way I've like interpreted it now reflecting back is it was just like, they just didn't know how to like foster that. And here's a great example of that. So, you know, I became a bartender. And while I was bartending, I was trying to start a business on the side and I had to move back in with my parents. And my dad would do this thing that at the time would just like kill me. But looking back, he did it out of love. Is At one point, I finally made that decision. You, you know what, the business hasn't fully taken off, but I'm gonna quit the bartending. I'm gonna burn my bridges and I'm gonna do this. You know, Throw your hat over the wall and say, screw it. And so I didn't have any job anymore and I'm working on this business and he would come home 
and he'd be out with some clients or whatever, and he'd go, James, good news. I'm like, what? They're hiring down at the bar. It's like, you gotta get that application in there, get that resume in there. It's like, I'll put in a good word for you. And like, I know today that he was doing that because he just like wanted to support me and he wanted to help me. But how I interpreted it back then was, he obviously doesn't believe in me. He doesn't believe in this. He wants me to just give up and get a job. And that was really tough then, you know, that was really hard. But my dad still to this day can't even describe what I do. He doesn't understand it. And so like, how could he have possibly understood anything that I saw back then? It's a different world. And I've talked extensively with him and he said, James, the last like that whole time of where I grew into what I am, he's like the 2000s and really beyond. He says, he's in his late seventies today. He goes, I've never seen more growth and more change in our world than in this time. And like, yeah, like for another, you know, he grew up in the late thirties. I was born in 39. Like, how would he be able to see or know like all these things that now when I I look at like a young kid, like I just had the 23 year old post on one of our comments. I'm like, I wonder how he sees the world that I can't, you know what I mean? Like when he grew up with like the internet was already there when he was born, which it wasn't for us, you know, that was something that got invented or discovered to the public while we were iPhones weren't around. Oh like, no. Yeah. no! Like uh, social media. Yeah. So like, that. what do they see that I can't? Like, I'm the old geezer now. You know what I mean? And like, <laughs> wow. So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot there, but I had the um, encouragement, the best that they knew how to give me, right. and I'm very grateful for that. They never said stop this. They never said don't do this. Right. Which is huge. That's huge. Oh yeah. And the fact that they didn't know how to support is okay as long as you had the love and support. The, the ironic part is I'm such a stubborn person that I wonder if they would have told me to stop it, if it would have even driven me Probably faster Probably the and other way. I had, when I f- created the bartending product, I got the website up, I got the first video, the sales video. I remember showing it to friends in college at a party. Like we're just hanging out at someone's house and they all started laughing at me. I mean, they were just laughing at me. And it made me wow. so happy. I was so like, yes, please. This is going to be so much better when I make it. It's going to be so much better. Like, A I, lot of people wouldn't feel that right. way. I know. It was really weird, but I was just like, it was something a little sick inside me. I was like, this is great. So I'm, you can rub I'm just like, yeah, like taking a mental note. Like, yeah. I'm going to put you on my list. Like, you if laughed you at me. If you had an iPhone, you would have taken a picture. Of right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about that. Your bartending course. So is that really the first time that you made money with a digital product? Yeah. And well, technically, it was actually physical, too. So I'd, I would give them all this digital stuff, and they would get a physical book in the mail. Like, I, I went and printed this book to 220 pages. It had a CD, a DVD, like CD-ROM. And we found a fulfillment company. We shipped them in the mail. Then they got an online portal. So 2007, I had been bartending and working my butt off bartending. And I had started mobile bartending. So I was working private parties, weddings, and stuff like that. And that's when I was like, you know, there's a whole story there of like, I started getting clients because I built a website. I built it myself. I learned, so I, I read a 950 page book on Dreamweaver, which is a software for how to build a website from scratch. There was no WordPress. There was no WordPress in 2006, 2007, but it was being created then. So like by the end of 2007, it was out or I hadn't heard of it at that time, at least. So I'm building a website from scratch. And then I'm like, how do I get people to see it? I learned SEO. I got the website ranked for Orange County bartender, Laguna Beach bartender, like San Diego bartender. So all of a sudden, phone call, phone call, phone call, phone call. So I'm like, wait, the more I market, the more I learn marketing, the more I can grow this business. I built up a staff of 15 bartenders and cocktail waitresses. I had deals with caterers and other vendors who were offering things and they were hiring me and I was hiring them and we were doing deals and commissions and referrals and all this stuff. And so it was good money, but it was still just like this side gig, but I was learning marketing. And the way I approached it, I said, I know I'm not gonna do this forever, but I wanna learn as much about business and marketing the right way and I'm gonna apply it to this business and I'm gonna use this as my practice. And the first real book that was like, that really hit me, oh, this is good. So <laughs> there, and you know, there's all these, all these other little stories, but with my last $80 in, in my bank account, at the time I just graduated from college, I went to Barnes and Noble and for about three hours, I sat in front of the business and marketing book section. And I basically reviewed every single book on that shelf and I chose I think four books because that's all the money I had. I had 80 bucks. So I remember spending, it was like $79 and some change. And that's all I had. 
And the book that really stood out to me was a book by Dan Kennedy, and it was No BS Business Success. And the first chapter described what an entrepreneur was. And it was like this guy was reading my soul. I'm like, that's exactly who I am. And it was like the first time in my life I'm like, oh, that's why something's wrong. Like, I just thought something was wrong with me. I mean, I had friends in college like, dude, when are you just going to get a job, get a real job? Like, you know, you know, and the laughing and all that stuff. And so, like, I was like, there's probably something wrong with me. You know, like, I'm not like everybody else. Like, what the hell's wrong with me? But whatever, let's run with it. And then I'm like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And it just like, it just bang, read through for me. So I started reading all of his stuff. I started learning from him. And what I noticed is that he and everyone that he brought on, Dan Kennedy, was making their money by teaching people what they knew. And I was like, I, it's like, aha, I got you. Like, I see what you're doing. And I, and I just said, well, what do I know? I said, well, I know how to bartend. And I said, yeah, I, I paid $800 to go to a bartending school. I'm like, why don't I just create a bartending school? And that was in November of 2007. I was living at home. I went up to my dad and I said, dad, I got the greatest idea. I said, look, I've got bartending, but I'm, I, I'm gonna teach people how to bartend. And here's the game, here's the bet. I bet you that I can make more money teaching someone how to bartend than I actually bartend. And he's like, he was just kind of like, okay, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have no idea what you're, the hell you're talking about. I went, uh, I went home, I, re- I went back into my room, I started working. Within two days, I'd registered the domain bartendforprofit.com. And it wasn't until April 18th, you know, so from November to April that I made my first sale. In but 2008. 2008. So was that like six months later, I made my first, first sale. Somewhere in Texas, I always forget where. It's like San Antonio, Texas or something. Arlington, Texas. Bought it for 200 bucks. And that was it. Like, that for me was it. I was like... That was a huge milestone. Huge, huge milestone. In fact, when the sale came in, I'd never had a sale come in. And it said, new order was placed. And I lost it. Because I was so broke at the time that I thought someone had, like, something had gone through on my credit card or my debit card. I didn't have a credit card. So you thought you had just paid. I thought I had just paid for something. I thought something just got new order. You bought something. I'm like, <gasps> and I click and I'm like, I didn't buy this. I was like, wait, this is my thing. And it said 189 plus 1995 shipping. And I'm like, oh my gosh, someone bought it. Like, and that was it. I called everyone and I, all my friends. And I said, I just told them off. I was like, I told you I could do it. <laughs> yep. I knew I could do it. You didn't believe in me. And like, I was like, I was upset. I was like, and frankly, screw you because like I did it and you just watch because this is just, just the beginning. And that was a fuel for me. Like I had used that not even intentionally just, just used it as like everyone who doubted me was a fuel to just prove that was your wrong. driver. That was the driver right then. And it's like, I got to prove him wrong. I mean, it felt really good at the time, but that was like, that was it. That was my world. That was the scope of it, it was like, I want to make some money on the internet and I want to prove everybody wrong. And that was like James 1.0 at that point. Wow, wow. So it wasn't that you had a mentor, it was really your own driver that was pushing you. I would say through those books, Dan Kennedy was my, was was my mentor. mentor. Yeah, because yeah. I remember I went to one of his conferences and I saw him and I was like starstruck. I'd read all his books and I was like, wow, he's like a celebrity to me. And I'm just like, that was so funny. Was, you know, so yeah. That's so good. Well, I know that something happened later. You know, we all have ups and downs in our Mm -hmm. journey story. And I know that something happened later where you had a big business disappointment. And sometimes those are where we have the most growth. So if you're willing to share about it, I'd love to have you tell the story of how you help someone else build their business. Yeah. So I had someone reach out to me about 2009, 2010 to come to work with them in their business. And at that time I learned a lot. I learned a lot, like social media was blowing up at the time, like Twitter was a really big thing. And I had been using, I'd still been selling the bartending stuff, making a ton of videos on YouTube. That's how the sales were coming in, was bartending videos. They're still up there and they're awful. And uh, <laughs> I met somebody at a conference and then they just, they tweeted me, they sent me a DM and they said, hey, you know, I've just kind of been observing you since I met you at the conference. And it's like, 
I've got a proposition for you. He said, I've got this ebook and I'd love to bring you on and we build this thing together. And for me at the time, I was making like one sale every one, like 10 to 14 days. You and weren't rolling in the money. I wasn't rolling in the money. No. So it was like, I mean, I was making like a thousand to 2000 a month, every penny I needed, every single penny. I go, what's the ebook? And he's like, it's about how to get your ex back. And I just laughed for like three minutes. I'm like, what? And I was like, have you sold any? He's like, yeah, I sell about one a day. And I was like, what? How much? He's like, it's 37 bucks. And I'm like, I was like, that was so much more impressed with that than what I had ever done. And I was like, what? And he's like, I'd love to work together and um, I'll give you 30%. And I got in there and I went to work. I dropped everything else and I focused 100% of my energy on this. And within 30 days, and there's all this stuff we did, but in 30 days, we had this product bringing in to between six to $7,000 a month. Basically, we had a six-figure business on our hands within the first month, by the end of the second month, for sure, a six-figure business on our hands. And it was amazing. It was like everything I had been learning, everything, all the books, all the things, and I was like applying it to this, and I was like, holy cow, it works, this is amazing, blah, 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 blah. We built up a two million viewed YouTube channel for his videos, and I created this little funnel. I didn't even know I was making a funnel at the time. Like, and I did all this stuff to bring in these sales. And I was also, the way I think, is like very leveraged and very automated. Like, It's not a job, we're building a business machine. And that's how I look at business, even back then, even back in the eBay days. It's like, how do I let go as much of this? How do I bring other people on? How do I automate this? You know, I had all these little leveraged ideas and opportunities always in place. And so about six months pass. Just to interrupt, yeah. you actually came into this thinking this was a partnership. Yeah. So six, yeah, six months pass. We've got it, you know, six to $8,000 a month. And I'm just like amazing and like for me whatever that 30 percent is you know i was making a couple of grand a month and then i had my grand or two so i'm making about four to six thousand a month and i'm like that's the most money i've ever seen i'm like i made it i'm rich i'm happy <laughs> like i was just like yes He's landed uh, and i you know i was like living at home still so yeah like that was a lot of money for me and then one day he just calls me up and he goes um I notice you're not working on it anymore. I was like, yeah, I've got it all set up. It's all automated. It's all that works for itself. And he's like, so I don't need you anymore. He's like, what? He's like, so I'm just going to let you go. What? Wow. <laughs> what? And as I look back, like, it's so silly. Like, I just thought that it was a partnership. I just thought that he was making me a 30% partner. I didn't know that... It was because he didn't have any money to pay me that he was only going to pay me if it was making money and he was going to give me 30%. Like, there's lesson number one. Like, there was no contracts. There was no communication. It was just like 30%. I heard 30%. I heard 30% stake in the company. Like, that's just what I assumed. Like, I never thought of that. And I was on a walk when he called. I could go back to the exact step of exactly where I was today, because it was in my neighborhood, of where I was when he said those words, I don't need you anymore. And then, of course, what starts going through your head, right? Like, I just moved into an apartment that month. So I was like, holy cow, like, how am I going to pay for this place? And oh, my goodness. And where's like, and then you start thinking, I've just spent six months of my life building up a business. What do I have to show for it? It's gone. Like, what? And all that stuff goes through my head. And then I remember the step exactly where I was, which is about a block away, when I decided that this is going to be the best thing that ever happens to me. And it was. If I were still working for that guy today, if I was still in that business or even stayed in there years later, I can't imagine how miserable I would have become. Like, mm -hmm. that's not what I was meant to do. I was not meant to be someone's, like, build their business for them behind the scenes like you get all the credit the glory the you know blah 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 but it showed you what was possible for you it showed me what was possible but what it really did it's such a blessing in so many ways because it gave me so much more confidence in what I was doing it was like I absolutely know what I'm doing I absolutely get results I can absolutely make this happen because I was doing it and I was I built someone's business for them and less than two months later I had known someone who was a little becoming known in the industry at the time, Lewis House. 
and he was just getting this rise to stardom, but we'd known each other since like day one of his journey and my journey. We started at the same time, we like connected really fast, and so we'd become good friends. And he had just had a bad business deal himself, ironically, and he comes to me and he's like, dude, I'm never doing business with anyone that isn't my friend. And I'm just, I didn't tell him my story, he didn't know my story, and I just like, was like, yeah, totally, I get it. And he's like, we should do business together. And I was just like, okay. And he goes, let's create a product. Okay. <laughs> and he goes, what do you want to do? What do you want to create? And I just blurted out, how about YouTube? Because as I looked back, when he was asking that question, I said, what in all the stuff that I did with this guy made the biggest difference? And I had really mastered this YouTube game and really figured that out. Like That's where I'd spent all my time because I said, look, we've got a little sales page, we've got a little funnel, but I gotta get people to it. And I said, YouTube's the way I'm gonna do that because that's what I had done with the bartending stuff. Two months after that, well, we're recording this in New York for other people that don't know that. Two months after that, Lewis invites me to his apartment in New York City and I'm there for the first time. Intimidated as all hell by the city. It scared the crap out of me. So I was like, I didn't even know how to like ask for directions for a cab, like 15th and 6th. Like what does that, what do those mean, those numbers? So like we don't have number streets in Laguna. Like it's, it's just like. No, it's all flower names. Exactly, yes, yes. So I'm dropped off on a street and I'm like texting him like, I think I'm here. And he like had to come out, to, you know. Anyways, two weeks after that, or a week after that, something like that, we're launching this course on YouTube called Video Traffic Academy. And in 30 days, we did over $400,000 in sales. And that product alone has gone on to do millions of dollars since, two, this is 2011, and put my name on the map as the YouTube guy. And I can't even imagine what would have unfolded if this person would have not fired me or not let me go. It was the greatest blessing. And that's when I really started to discover, like, I made that decision that this is going to be the best thing I ever had. I didn't resent him. I don't resent him now. There's nothing, like, wrong or bad. Like, I really, in that moment, when I got that phone call, I knew that in order for this to be the best thing that ever happens to me, I need to send him off with love and just be like, there's no hatred. There's no revenge. There's no me. You got to get even. There's none of that. It has nothing to do with me. This is my life. I made these choices, I screwed up. I didn't get a contract, I didn't ask questions, I didn't set up those boundaries, I didn't stick up for myself, I didn't ask for what I wanted. And I'm gonna learn from that. And this is gonna be the best thing that ever happens to me. Absolutely was, it absolutely was. There was no way that that stuff would have unfolded, especially the way it did, if I would have stayed working with him. Like no. if that's would have been my path because I had shut off all other opportunities at that point. You so, were focused. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you let a door open by doing that. So we're getting to the end of this first yeah. half of the journey because we're going to do this in two parts. And I want to end this particular episode with talking about how you started to get into the woo-woo side of things. Mm, yeah. Because it was right around this time that you started to explore that. Yeah. Yeah, so the woo-woo stuff. So it had tried to come into my life many times. Back in 2006, so right after college, my mom and sister get me a book called Ask and It Is Given. Uh, the title sounded awesome. I was like, yeah, I'm all about getting stuff. <laughs> I read the book. The introduction chapter talks about a woman channeling a bean. I take the book and I just threw it straight into the garbage. I let my mom see it. I'm like, garbage right stop giving me this trash like what are you doing like i need a book on the hard work and the super smart strategies and all that stuff then my sister brings home the same year it brings home the, the movie the secret i was kind of open to it i was like okay i'm kind of getting this so it like created a little crack for me okay then there was the real introduction happened all that time i was struggling like trying to build the bartending thing working with this other guy those years were like deep, dark struggle for me. There was a, there was a lot of like, like I, that's where I was really struggling. It's in that time period up until Video Traffic Academy launched. And this old girlfriend from college re-enters my life. And she comes into my life and I'm like, she's a different person. Like I couldn't even recognize her. And so, you know, as an entrepreneur, struggling entrepreneur, you're kind of learning about personal development. And I see this transformed person. And I'm like, whoa. 
what happened to you? What did you take? What personal development book did you read? And she told me about Reiki and energy healing. And I had no idea what it was. It sounded crazy, but she started doing healings on me. And I remember sitting at my desk one afternoon, so angry, so frustrated. I mean, I was breaking keyboards. I was punching my desk, punching walls. Like I was so mad and I was so angry. It wasn't working. It wasn't working fast enough. I wasn't getting it. It was breaking. This wasn't doing it. And I remember she just took her hand and put it right on my back, like right on my back. And like, there was no fighting it, but like the anger, the frustration, like was just melting away. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing to me? Like, and I, I'm like, stop it. I want to be angry. Like, and, and, and I couldn't. And I was like, what the hell is, what are you doing? And she's, you know, she says, can I try some healings on you? And like every time that she would do a healing on me, like this weird Reiki stuff, I would get out of it and I'd be inspired. I'd have an idea, I'd have clarity, I'd have positivity, I'd have more energy. And I was like, give me more of this, give me more, this is amazing, this is amazing, and just like, and then she would bring her friends over and they'd all do healings and we'd, they'd do healings on each other and it's like all this stuff started happening and they all just started saying like, he needs to be doing this, why is he not learning this? And so she introduced me to the, the person she learned it from, this is this fifth generation healer, it's been like in the family, and for the next few years, I learned from this person. Yes, I was learning this Reiki modality and I you know, went on to become a Reiki master, but there was so much more I was learning beneath that about just like an understanding of, of energy and vibration and intention and our emotions and what they are and thinking bigger, being bigger and all of that. And I was like, that. I was, I was learning it there and things just start like there's a whole episode on the miracles that I like my scientific brain the whole time I was in there I was like I'm gonna prove this wrong I'm gonna poke the holes and it was like I realized that that in itself was just like preventing me from seeing the miracles but they still kind of came through and I would see more and more evidence that I couldn't refute more and more miracles that I like couldn't explain away anymore until I finally just remember like letting it go and like okay I created this kind of foundation that's what allowed me when I got this firing phone call from this individual, that's what allowed me to be at peace with it. That's what allowed me to reframe it, is that I began to trust in that. And I really believe that that's what helped to align the stars for someone like Lewis to come into my life and you know, all this other stuff to unfold. But here's what happened. We make all this money in a month. And I realized it had been four years, maybe a whole lifetime, of everything that I had wanted back in high school, being frustrated, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, and the little kid imagining stacks of money. And it all happened within 30 days. And it happened so fast and so sudden. And if you can imagine 20 plus years of telling yourself what that's gonna mean about you when you have those things, and then getting those things, and nothing has actually changed. You don't feel any different about yourself. No one sees you any differently. Everything else is still the same. I fell into this like bizarre, cause I'd never really experienced it before, bizarre deep depression where for about two months, cause this was, this was September. By November and December, I couldn't get off my couch. I started smoking weed like four times a day. I was drinking even though I don't like drinking at all. And I would just lay on my couch. And I was like, well, I did it. I, I mean, I got it, and it's not what it was all cracked up to be. What's the point? What's the use? I don't, what, why? I mean, why? Nothing else in my whole, it's like my whole life was driving to that point, and I had nothing beyond that. Now, the girlfriend that I told you about that entered the picture and, and was such a gift in my life to introduce me to this stuff, ironically, we broke up, and it was because I was choosing a life of entrepreneurship, not her, right? Like time away from her was time in the business and it was too much time away from her that she finally got fed up with it. She's like, all you care about is, is, is business and making money and blah, blah, blah. And so she, you know, she and I broke up and it was, I was like, if you're gonna say I have to choose between you, I choose this, like, sorry. You know, that was James 1.0. And then I got it, I got everything I wanted and I was like, it wasn't what I thought it was gonna be. 
And she was a, such a gift coming into my life to introduce me to that spirituality and the energy and all that, the Reiki stuff. And even after we'd broken up, and she had no idea, at least like maybe intuitively she did, but she had no idea that I had fallen into this depression. And I get a gift in the mail from her right around Christmas time. I think it came like two days before December 25th. And it was a note. And she said, I know you've learned all this law of attraction stuff from the movie The Secret. And we've learned a lot of stuff and all the Reiki and energy stuff we've done. But I've just listened to these CDs about four times now. This is the secret on steroids. And I feel like this is what you've been looking for. Nuts. So I'm like, why not? What else? <laughs> yeah, whatever. And I pop in the CD on December 26th of 2011. And I started walking on my old high school track. And from the moment that tape played, like my entire life is different from the moment I press play. The first 10 minutes is an intro bio of the person sharing their accomplishments, what they've done, how they've impacted the world and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh man, like so much bigger, so much more that could be possible. And then it was all like, and here's how he did it. And the CDs went into talking about the concept of law of attraction, but really about an internal success mindset of intention and vibration and alignment of an inner peace and all of that. And I was obsessed, absolutely obsessed. It changed my life. Like it got me out of that depression in a day. And within 30 days, my entire focus, my entire life was different. I packed up my stuff. I moved to New York City and I came up with the idea, Real Marketing Insider, which became a half a million dollar a year membership. Business just unfolded for me, like new ideas, new opportunities. And like, that was it. And like, it was no looking back. And, you know, I've never had any of that like depression or like, what's the point? You know what I mean? And that was it. That was when I was like, oh, this stuff works when you use it, when you live it. Like so many people listen to this podcast and then I meet them and I can tell right now, you're just filling your head with a bunch of more stuff. There's just concepts and ideas for you that sound nice on paper. They sound nice on an Instagram quote, but when you actually start to live this way, that is the only time that it makes a difference. That is the only time that it even means anything, that it even matters. And that's when I started living that way. I remember getting to the city and just like, feeling like I was on drugs, like feeling like everything is alive and vibrant and it's amazing and it's, in, and it's incredible and everything, the energy, the people that like, this is it. And I'm like, I wanna stay this way and I wanna enhance this. And the more I did that, the more incredible things came into my life and the more ideas I had and the more I was doing and the more I was creating. And I'm like, great, let's just keep doing this. And that's when I decided that for four and a half years, that work hard, that struggle, that nose to the grindstone, this hustle BS that everyone's talking about means diddly if we're not living this way from the inside out. James, I wanna thank you for being so open. Yeah. Seriously, you have been very vulnerable and open on this interview, and we are just touching the edge of the iceberg, especially on the woo-woo <laughs> stuff. Really I wanna dive really deep into James 2.0 on the next podcast. So thank you so much for sharing this. Thank you, Teresa. For years, I filled my head with every course, strategy, and tactic, yet I still struggled. I worked 12 to 14 hour days every single day trying to build an online business, yet I still had nothing to show for it. And you may be feeling this way as well. Maybe you're starting to think that the solution is to work more, to work harder to start saying yes to the things that you know you shouldn't be saying yes to. And if this doesn't stop right now, where do you think you're gonna end up? You see, what most struggling entrepreneurs never ever realize is that your business and the results you have right now are simply a reflection of you. They're a reflection of you and the entrepreneur that you're being. And sadly, most people running businesses today don't have a clue how to actually be an entrepreneur. 
Now, that's why they try to rely on the old, outdated strategies that hardworking employees use to get ahead. You know, things like work harder, work longer, rely on your sweat equity, and of course, do what you're told. But you and I both know that being a successful entrepreneur is anything but that. And that's why I wanna peel back the curtain to show you exactly how I've been running and operating my multiple seven-figure online business for years now. And quite frankly, it's different than anything you've ever heard before. I've spent the past six months producing an eight-part mini-series entitled The Rise of the Digital CEO in order to help transform inner-driven entrepreneurs like yourself into who you need to become in order to grow and operate a thriving business that actually runs itself instead of it running you. Plus, I'll show you the five core ingredients that you simply can't do without if you want more scalability and consistency in your business. So if you're ready to step into that digital CEO role that you know you were meant for, head on over to www.jameswedmore.com forward slash rise right now. business was transformed literally overnight. In less than five months, working a full-time corporate job, being a mommy to an eight-year-old boy, I grew my email list from 180 to 5,400 in less than five months. And the transformation has been huge, radical. I feel like I have those missing pieces that are really gonna allow me to scale my business and just absolutely have the most amazing breakthrough year and it's transformed me into a, a better entrepreneur, a better businessman. Allowed me to do a six-figure beta launch uh, with a live event and all of that in May. You're teaching us skills, you're giving us skills, you're giving us the opportunity to do things that are really important, uh, having an impact in other people's lives. But the other thing that it's allowing us to do is to live a life of our own choosing.